You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for coming back. Or if it's your first time, thanks for hanging out. There is a lot of content out there that you could be checking out. And the fact that you're choosing to spend a little time with me really does mean the world. And I'm not just saying that. There are literally millions of podcasts. So thank you for carving out a little bit of your day to hang out. This week, I'm talking to Joey Sturgis. If you have heard that name before, it's probably because you've seen his software company floating around on the interwebs at some point. They make a ton of different plugins, sample packs, that kind of thing. And every single thing that I've gotten to check out so far has been absolutely phenomenal. We get into all that, but we also get into his production history and how he got started recording and producing bands. All of that good, juicy background details that I know that you all love. And I will say, the Patreon episode, if you like mixed drinks, if you're curious about the art of mixology, oh boy, we go in deep and I actually learn the proper way to create a gin martini, which is something that I've tried to do in the past with, uh, I want to say, limited success, but the reality is zero success. I didn't realize there was as much that went into this stuff as there is. So Joey is uh, very passionate about that. And we dove in way deeper. Actually, I didn't expect to talk about it at all. So we dove in pretty deep into that subject in this week's Patreon. And if you would like to get access to those bonus episodes and you would like to help support the show, please slide over to Patreon and check that out where for five bucks a month, you can get access to all of the bonus content. And there are some real gems back there. And it helps out way, way more than you might think. It's really, really huge. So thank you to everyone that does that. And if that isn't in the cards for you right now, I totally understand. I would simply ask that you help share the show. Help this show get out there to more people. If you have anyone in your life that you think would get something out of this, please share this episode with them or your very favorite episode, whatever that may be. If you can get your friends and family in, that is one of the most insanely helpful things that you could possibly do. As I've expressed before, while we always complain about the algorithms in YouTube and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, the reality is at least there is something to help push content out there. With podcasts, that isn't really the case yet. It may get there, but as of right now, the most important thing you can do is tell somebody about your favorite podcast. And if this is your favorite podcast or one of your favorite podcasts, I would very much appreciate that. All right, that's enough plugging. Let's get into this episode with Mr. Joey Sturgis. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have somebody I've been wanting to talk to for quite a while, Mr. Joey Sturgis. How you doing, dude? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Also, I, I recognize the that PV logo on your hat. <laughs> Man, that one, this one gets some comments. Yes. That brings back memories of me being a, a nine-year-old lifting up a stage monitor to help my dad set up live sound. Whoa. Whoa. So you've been doing this. That's actually a great jumping off point. You, I wanted to get into your backstory. It sounds like that started real early. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I, I essentially grew up kind of I like to say I grew up on tour. The reality is that my parents didn't really play shows too far away from home. But mm -hmm. I, I did grow up on tour, though. Uh, my mom and dad in a traveling band uh, was actually born out of our state because of that. 
Okay. Uh, my, my mom was playing shows while she was pregnant. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a musical family. And um, the thing about that, which may seem strange to some people, is that like that never like music never was this thing. It's like, oh, that's what I'm going to do in life. Like, I'm going to make this my, you know, my career. It's just it was actually more of like, oh, it's just part of life. Like music is just another part of life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's how it was in our family. Um, so I think that it's kind of, um, it's kind of interesting that I did end up making it my career because I certainly tried pretty much everything I could to not make it my career, but then it ended up happening anyway. (laughs) Really? What do you mean by that? What did you, what did you try instead? Like I was really into computers. I wanted to program computer games. Um, I worked at a computer shop, you know, um, I, I really loved everything to do with computers, but the, the shift from analog to digital in, in the music production world, I think is what sort of brought that back into my life to where it's like, Oh, you can mix computers with music production and here's how. And it's like, that kind of brought me closer to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to be a computer programmer and I, I would spend my days programming websites, making video games, even, um, you know, making little viruses for my friends, you know, like, (laughs) So I was really into the computer science, but, um, long story short is, you know, eventually became a producer, right. Then came, it all came back and all blended together when I started the software company, mm-hmm. uh, Joey Sturgis tones where we make audio software. So it's kind of a beautiful, like uh, synergistic thing of all the different things that make up who I am ended up all meeting together and, and making, you know, what I do now a possible that, thing. That makes so much sense. What actually pulled you back in, you know, from the computer side, obviously it came back later as you just explained, but what pulled you back into music once you were trying to, you were trying to program games, you were trying to do this other thing, but somehow just when you thought you were out, they they pulled you back in. So what was, (laughs) what was that? Well, you know, as, as a teenager, you're typically kind of bored, right? Like you're always looking for something interesting to be a part of something interesting to do. And, and gaming is, you know, different than it was. It's different now than it was back then. Like gaming definitely had like a social element to it online, but it kind of was like, these are my virtual friends. They're not my, like my real friends. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, you find yourself wanting to do something social and music being in a band and playing shows and doing that kind of thing was, was part of that for me. Um, and then of course I was, experimenting with recording and production and mixing at the same time just just for fun and uh those things sort of just eventually met together right like you're in a band you're like thinking oh well i could record our demo right and then you do that and then another band hears it and then they're like where'd you record that demo and like oh i I just did it they're like whoa would you record our band and then you do that and then Mm -hmm. One thing leads to another, and now you're recording bands on the weekends, and you're quitting your job because you're making more money doing that. And uh, people liked what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just (laughs) trying to figure it out, just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, I just had a knack for it. And I think my my underlining skill that makes me so good at this is that I'm just like a natural problem solver. Um, So like when I hear that the vocal doesn't sound the way that I do, I don't. I don't like scratch my head and go, maybe it's the microphone. I like try to fix the problem or troubleshoot what it is and come up with a solution. Right. And that's my first job being at a computer shop. I was troubleshooting and repairing computers. 
-hmm. It's a skill set that you need to like in every aspect of my life, I use that skill set. I use it for making plugins. I use it for producing bands. And so it just naturally came to me. And I think it's part of why I was able to go from a garage with crappy equipment um, and figure out how to make our great sounding records. Cause I just troubleshooted my way all the way through it. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of things were you using when you first started recording your band, for instance, was it one of those giant digital Yamaha recorders or what era was this? Um, let's see. We had, a, you know, one of those like Behringer, like eight channel mixers, mm-hmm. um, with, um, uh, dirty pots. Um, <laughs> we had the, uh, we had some fake, uh, I, I, I think they were Behringer. I don't remember the brand, but it was like a preamp, but it had like a fake tube in it. Oh yeah. Okay. At the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we used those. And then like, I remember one of the most annoying things I ever had to do was like when we would record the toms, we would mic each one up, but it would, and it would go through the mixer. But since we were using like an aardvark Q10, we only had like eight uh xlr inputs Mm -hmm. so we had to like sum the toms down to an aux and then go into one channel on oh geez yeah (laughs) and so like all the toms would be mono like right down the center and what i would do is i would go back later and i would just like automate a pan knob so like when the drummer hits like the left tom it the automation pan knob goes to the left and then it like moves like that for all the fills I did that problem solving you were talking about. (laughs) Yeah, dude. (laughs) It's crazy, man. That's that's crazy. So you were going into software at that time though. Like it wasn't uh, Oh yeah. No, I never I never did out of the box like like a true analog recording. I I never was a part of that. And I famously I've only got to do it twice in my life, really. Is one time I recorded some stuff for Ask Alexandria Record at NRG and we used like all the uh, outboard gear for that and then i also did like a drum sample pack with a drummer named miles mcfear miles mcpherson mm-hmm. and uh for that we we went to uh reba mcintyre's studio in nashville and we used all outboard gear for that well that's cool yeah that was sick um but other than that i haven't been like an outboard kind of guy like i and i make plugins so i'm gonna use plugins right and that's just part of the like generation that i'm a part of is has been that and i Famously, I've never really even used like good microphones either. Either like I would record an entire album just on like an AT thirty thirty five, like you know, one of those like four hundred dollar condenser microphones, and just call mm-hmm. it a day. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you can get the results you're looking for out of it, then why bother, right? It's not necessarily about the gear; it's how you use it. It's how you go through. Which you know sounds kind of weird for me to say with this background I have going on here, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I have friends that are like super gear nerds. Like my buddy Joel. Like he every year he's like, okay, I'm gonna sell my lunchbox and I'm gonna buy a console. And then like the next year he's like, I'm selling my console and I'm buying another lunchbox. He's just, <laughs> you know, going back and forth all the time. Where so we talk about gear. I know about gear, but it's. It's just like whenever I sat down to make a record, I never felt the need like, oh, I need a, a magic black box to turn knobs with. Like it just I always felt like just get the, you know, capture the source, I guess, like in a in a pretty good way, the best way that you can that you know how. And mm-hmm. then once it's in the computer, you can do whatever the hell you want with it. And that's just kind of I've been always at a rush to get it in the computer so that I can like play around with it. That That's been my playground. So that's a good thing to kind of segue into 
your thoughts and opinions on basically recording guitars now is in my opinion, just substantially easier than it's ever been as far as getting a good sound at a reasonable volume, like even just in your house or your apartment or wherever you're at, you can get really, in my opinion, really great sounding guitars that just weren't even possible 10, 15 years ago for your average person. And like, how has that translated into your workflow? Because you could do kind of whatever you want, but I'd, I'd be curious to get your take on that. Yeah, it it comes down to the creativity now, I think, because a lot of the barriers are removed, right? Mm -hmm. The technical barriers are really kind of not there um, for most people. Like, I mean, you know, there might be some people who still um, can only afford like free plugins or like, you know, they have a $200 guitar that doesn't sound the greatest. So those people have some barriers, but um, you know, there's amp sims out there that are, you know, now created with, um, well, we, we could really get deep into this. Like, you know, the, the software, yeah. the software, um, for amps and for guitars and guitar tones typically up to this point has been based on what we call white box modeling. So white box modeling is essentially knowing how the circuit of the original amp that you're trying to model, knowing how that circuit works, knowing what components are in it, and then being able to replicate what those components do and how they interact with each other inside of a virtual place, like a inside of software. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been doing. I mean, that's what everybody had, all the products that are out there are kind of based on white box modeling and it can get really good, especially when you learn that about 80% of your guitar sound is going to come from an impulse response anyway. Right. Um, so like, get a good combination of white box modeling and a really good set of IRs and you can kind of go nuts from there. Um, now though, we're starting to see a different type of modeling, which some people are calling it black box modeling. And that's kind of like a combination of white box and bringing AI into the mix, bringing neural networks, uh, being able to not even know what was inside the amp, but still be able to recreate its sound by doing neural network training on those on those tones. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it's an interesting time because now there's going to be a lot of products coming out that have this black box modeling in it. And actually, we're we're working on a product right now, and and it'll be out in a few weeks. Uh, we've been working on it for two years. It's got some neural network uh, tone matching technology inside of it. Um, but to your point now, anyone who has a computer and a guitar can just plug into their computer and pretty much get like a badass tone if they have the right software mm -hmm. and they know how to play guitar. Like, so what is, so wh what's the, what's the next leap for us? And I think that next leap is, okay, what do you do with the technology? What do you do with your creativity? Because you you it's not so hard to have five different guitar tones on one song what is that what kind of doors does that open up has anyone mm -hmm. experimented with that you know and i look at people like uh to inspire me like devin townsend for example um you know just doing the craziest production and like off the wall songs that go to crazy places and it's like that is what i am excited about is we have all this technology and we have all these tools that make it so much easier to create music. So now use it to do something really, you know, 
mind blowing, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the whole purpose of it is that these tools are just a means to an end. But what is that end? Right. And that's up to you to figure out and decide and and create. And what's really cool about the digital world is I I think we are roughly in the same age ballpark wise. And uh, I started, you know, kind of like the tone journey with guitar and like, like, oh, wow, look at these pedals and tube amps. Whoa, this is so cool. And at the time, most of the knowledge was still like around mic technique and like recording the actual guitar sound and then getting that into the box and messing, kind of messing with it later. So I very much came from that same mindset of grab it as accurately and as best you can, but make it good before it gets to tape or to the computer. But now I'm intentionally like going direct in. I'm, I'm using the Boss Tube Amp Expander all the time just because I'm like, I can have my cake and eat it too. I can play these amps I like and they respond the way I want them to. But then I can throw like, 20 different cabs on them if I want and and just things that the the magic of the digital world I think is doing things that are literally impossible or very 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 difficult in the quote unquote real world. In fact, there's lots of stuff that is impossible. You can't you know, I I use several different plugins and it's like I can run this amp into another amp if I want to. Which right. You yeah. literally can't do in real life. So that's or like if you wanted to, to plug in your guitar into two different amps, like in the real world, you have to use a splitter. But like most consumer or prosumer splitters like are going to not make the signal go into those two amps correctly. Mm -hmm. And you need to have like a really expensive splitter to do it the right way. It needs to be grounded and all this, um, maybe even like active um, mm -hmm. to not have any kind of signal loss. And then you also think about how like there's the, the idea that you could reamp stuff but as soon as you've taken that recorded DI and digitized it and then bring it back out into the analog world, it's not the same anymore. I don't care who, who tries to sell you a reamp box. <laughs> and I don't care if the reamp box goes to 11 instead of 10. Dude, it doesn't come out the same it, and it will react with the amp different. So it's it's not an either or, I don't believe. I mean, I you know, for a while I would actually record people's uh, amp heads instead of using an amp sim, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't do the whole microphone cab thing. I would just go like effects send into my uh, interface and have that raw amp sound. Mm -hmm. And then I'd put a, a, an IR in the box on that. And the reason why I like that more is because it's a little more consistent. You know, the problem that you face with having the microphone just out there, like in front of the speaker in the real world is that there's tiny little movements and things interactions that are happening where that consistency can change like you lose consistency you can have a little more bass in this song and a little less bass in that song just because the microphone moved a little closer or further away from the cone or or whatever right mm -hmm. so eliminating um variables was like one of my most important pursuits it, it was like i want to record these guitars so that the guitar tone sounds the like exactly the same through the whole album. Like if that was my goal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I fought really hard to like try and accomplish that with the gear that I was given and with the, uh, do as much of that as you can outside of the computer before it gets there. Um, and you know, I think being a guitar player right now is probably a really, it's it's such a fun time to be a guitar player because there's so many gadgets 
there's so many pedals, there's so many innovations like the Evertune system, um, the Paizo pickups that can individually map each string. Um, there's so much cool stuff going on. And, uh, so yeah, I, I totally get it. Like being a gear nerd, being a guitar player and being a gear nerd are like totally synonymous, <laughs> you know, like it, it goes hand in hand, but then you have the whole software part of it too, right? Like mm-hmm. as soon as you step away from your amp and you go to your computer, now there's a whole world inside of there. And, um, I, I just, I love it. Like I love being a part of it. I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very cool. Like, I keep saying, even back when I started this podcast, this was like 2015. I was like, this is the best time ever to be a guitarist. And I'm like, no, now's the best time ever. Oh, no, now's the best time. Ever. <laughs> like it keeps getting better and better. The Even down to, like you mentioned having like, oh, you only got a $200 guitar. Well, the $200 guitars that are made now are a lot different than the $200 guitars that were available back in the day. Like it's oh, substantially yeah. better. Uh, mm-hmm. and more consistent. I mean, there's problems, obviously. It's not a top-of-the-line instrument. They're not all going to be perfect, but they're way better than they used to be. Yeah. Uh, a squire is not a, is not the squire that we <laughs> that we grew up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at Maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, all now right. can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world... Do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. So when you decided to start the software company, what did... What did that look like? Did somebody say, hey, man, you know how to program. Maybe we could do some of this. Or was this your idea? Or how in the world did this ever occur? Well, it's a pretty cool story. Um, it kind of actually starts all the way back in like 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, recording bands. And I would get a little psycho with it. Uh, you know, I would record <laughs> a, an entire drum sample pack just so that 
like when I wanted to replace a drum fill somewhere in the record and I wanted to do it like later on, I had like the whole drums all recorded and sampled so that I could just like literally cut out that section of the drums take and rewrite my own thing in there. And it would sound completely seamless because it was all recorded at the same time. Mm -hmm. So the snare, all the snare hits are the, the same ones. Cause that same one that's I recorded on the sample pack is the same one I recorded in the song. Um, and I was like, okay, this is kind of crazy because I'm only going to use this like three or four times in the record. And I did all this effort and I have this huge drum sample pack and it's just going to sit on my hard drive and I'm not going to like use it again because the next band's going to come in and we're going to just do a whole nother drum sample pack and just read it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I could probably do something with these. Like maybe I'll just put them online and see if people want to like buy them from me or something. And I kind of had seen other people, you know, doing similar things. That's where I kind of got the idea. But back then, it was not easy to make an online store. There, there wasn't software like Shopify like there is today. Um, what so what year was this roughly? This was like I want to say it's like two thousand eight. Okay, I, yeah, I believe yeah. Not as easy back then. No. Um, so I built my own cart system. Well, I t- I I got like this software cart system called Zen Cart, mm-hmm. and it kind of worked, but I had to like go into the PHP code and like change it so that I could actually make it sell software. Cause it wasn't really set up for that. Yeah. I remember so, like, cart. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 yeah, I did all this and made a store and then people actually started buying the stuff and I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like I could probably just keep doing this. Like every time there's a band, I'll just make another drum sample and then people will buy the drum sample pack. And I just, you know, very early, uh early business uh thoughts you know yeah. as they are <laughs> then eventually you realize okay well then now everybody wonders what's the difference between each drum set and then it starts to get more complicated but that's kind of where it all began and then um i got a twitter account when it first came out started tweeting about music production people started asking me questions i started to get annoyed by the questions because there were so many so my sort of um solution to the problem was i'll make another store so i had joey sturge's drums i'll make another store called joey sturge's tones and i'll sell my tones so i don't i literally don't even have to explain to people how i made the tones you can just buy the tone from me and then open it up in pod farm and see how i made it you know Mm -hmm. that was like my thought process that really took off and then i started making lots and lots of different guitar tones bass tones and um one day my buddy calls me up and he's like, Hey man, so you got all these drum samples and all these tones and stuff, but like you should make like a plugin. And I'm like, dude, I can't make a plugin. Are you serious? I was like, <laughs> that's like the hardest thing ever. Cause like you have to compile it like for windows and you have to compile it for Mac and then you have to make it work for pro tools and then Cubase and the garage band and then logic. And then, studio one and then blah 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 and in my head i'm as a programmer i'm thinking that is a nightmare that is Mm -hmm. not anything i would ever want to uh embark on so i just wrote the idea off and then a couple of days go by and i I actually have like a week off in between bands because there are some scheduling conflicts and that idea was just resonating in my head you know kind of eating at me and i you know i finally was like all right screw it i'm gonna mess around with some plugins and see what i can do so I started, I started messing around with it and then like I played around with it for like five or six months and kind of got 
to a place where I was like, this is, this is getting interesting. Um, I'm going to try and make a vocal compressor. So I, I sat down, wrote a vocal compressor, tested it on a bunch of stuff, kept tweaking it, tweaking it. And I got to the point where I didn't want to tweak it anymore because I liked how it sounded. And, uh, so I was like, this is done. Like I, this is a plugin. Wow. I made a plugin. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. And I got in Photoshop. I drew the UI myself, um, took a, just went on, you know, YouTube, found some tutorials, started drawing the interface. I found some, uh, you know, royalty free knobs that I was, that I could use. So I didn't have to create the knobs from scratch, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. drag and drop those in there. All right, cool, cool. Uh, and then eventually I was able to compile it out. And at the time I had only put in the work to build a windows only 32 bit VST, which only worked in Cubase. Mm -hmm. And I put that out. I put it on my Joyster, just tone store which was already selling guitar tones. But now, so now I've got Joey Sturgis drums selling drum samples, Joey Sturgis tones selling guitar tones, and now I'm selling a vocal plugin. This was like next level stuff going on at the time, right? Um, because you really only had like Waves was like the big plugin juggernaut. Mm -hmm. um, you had Slate like kind of starting to get some of his plugins out there. And then you had like me and, and maybe there's a few others in between, but that was kind of like, at least in my head, how it, how it looked for my community is that it was like, I was starting to make plugins now. This was crazy. So yeah, that one was a huge success. And, um, about three or four days later, I was like, okay, I got something going on here. I got to find a programmer to help me like convert this so that it works for Mac. And so I, I reached out to some people, somebody took the job and then the rest is history, man. We, we compiled it to different formats. We improved the, the, um, performance of the plugin. And then I had my first like real software product. That's gotta be, that had to have been a really weird feeling. Like, especially looking at waves at the time and going like, wow, they've got all this stuff and it's generally pretty well regarded by most people. And, uh, and now the, seeing what slates become and just like having been a part and now like, there's so many plugins out there, like plugin companies popping up all the time. But having been a part of that first run had to have been a very strange feeling, uh, a good one, but I imagine it was pretty weird. Yeah, but it at the time, I was literally so obsessed with everything in the box, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I was obsessed with plugins, like to the point where I'd be like, oh, it's so stupid that they put the knob right here. Like, you know, I, <laughs> so in my mind, I'm thinking like, I know that I can do this better because I can think of 10 things that are wrong with every plugin that exists. It, I, that's how um, like detailed and obsessed I was with the whole thing. So to me, in my own perspective, I was like, I'm going to do this better than these companies because I think I could just, you know, I could make the design better. I could make it simpler. I could make it sound better. You know, I had that, I had that ego to enough of an ego to get it started. And then, you know, and a, a lot of the first, you know, batch of products kind of came from that mindset. And now it's a lot more approached as, okay, you know, we are a software company. We create um, software for users. So now we'd think a lot more about the user experience. It's not m me being so like, Oh, I can make plugins better than other people. It's more like, let me create like a, a really good tool, a solid tool that somebody could use to like break down those barriers and get closer to their creativity. 
Um, but I think that's what it took to get started. You know, like I really, mm -hmm. you, you kind of have to have that, like, you know, I'm ready to fight almost kind of thing to like really break through. And, uh, luckily I had a, some really solid ideas for the first few plugins. And I think that helped. You explained the process for that first one. And that totally makes sense. I can imagine, I can imagine you sitting at the computer and doing all this like plain as day. I imagine that the process is not the same these days. So do you start with, Oh, we want to recreate this, this X, Y, Z piece of gear and make it accessible. Or is it more, Oh, we need a set of tools that'll help people do X, Y, Z or what's, what does the process look like for creating that stuff now? So even in the beginning and even now we have always been a solution based software company, which means that we try to shy away from like, we don't want to recreate like an 1176, for example, because there's a billion of those on the market and honestly like what the way that i thought of it is i was like that doesn't make sense why would you start a plug-in company right and then emulate an 1176 when a lot of people who would use plugins don't even know what 1176 is they've mm -hmm. never touched one they don't know what it sounds like and they don't even know how it works so or why, why would they, they would want one yeah. yeah why would they want one why would they buy one my thought process was people know that they want to record their vocals in front of a mic and then they want it to sound like this but they don't know what happens in between so i was like we should create products where when you record your voice into a microphone and then you put this little plug-in on it it makes it sound like that right and so i always go for the the problems first what are the problems that people have and they don't understand the techniques or or uh, sometimes even the tools that you would need to accomplish the result and how can I create a tool that bridges that gap? And, you know, that's worked pretty well for us. And like even our whole line of guitars, our guitar software line is called Toneforge. And the whole idea is to like give you every tool that you would need to actually create a mix ready tone. Because mm -hmm. it's not just like when you're lis listening to a mix, it's not just the guitar going through the amp, going through the cab, going through the mic, and then just sitting there on a track. You know, there's all kinds of stuff after that. Like there's an EQ sometimes. There's exciters. There's limiters. There's compression. You know, there's different things that are making that guitar tone sound the way that you love the the sound on on the records that you love. And so even our Toneforge lines, the same thing. It has it has the limiter built in. It's got the EQ built in. It's got the pedals. It's got the amp. It's got the cabs. All the things that the, not only the guitar player would use, but also the things that the producer would use or the mixer would use to create that final mix ready tone. And um, yeah, that's just been our approach for every product. It's like start with the the problem and then create a nice, concise solution for it. It's bringing back a lot of memories because I remember what got me into a lot of this initially was being kind of frustrated that I couldn't figure out how to make like this guitar doesn't sound anything like what I'm hearing on the radio or on my, these CDs. You know, I'd ask my dad who was a guitar player, but not into gear at all. He just liked to play acoustic guitar sometimes. And I'd be like, how do I get my guitar to sound like this, you know, drop tuned corn song or something? And he, he was like, I don't know. Is that even a guitar? You know, like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. And then I would, you know, this is early internet. So I'm looking, trying to figure it out. And 
going to Guitar Center and trying different things and like, no, none of this works. And even like finally getting a decent setup in my bedroom, like, like nothing sounds like what I'm hearing. So what is all of that? And it took a long time to realize that there was a lot going on other than the guitar and amp, uh, which is obviously very important, but yeah, compressors and delays and who knows what else going on in post-production makes a big, big difference. But it's interesting that you decided to break it down almost for like for people like me back then. Like if I had had access to the software and stuff, maybe the guitars would have sounded a lot closer to what I had in my head slash was hearing on the radio. So do you do you like when you're designing say a, a you know a pack for a specific purpose, maybe the user doesn't care that what an eleven seventy six is, but maybe you take some characteristics of that and build that into the chain in a simpler way for them to use is that the idea yeah um i kind of felt like part of my when i started with the guitar tones and selling the the guitar tones what i was selling was these little um i think they're called l6t files which stands for line six um or l6p or i don't remember line six pod farm tone or line six tone something like that right Mm mm-hmm and this file, like when you would open it up in the PodFarm software, it would show you like the whole chain. Like you would see like the pedal, the amp, the cab, the what you know, the preamp, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like I was educating people just even with those. I was like, you're going to buy the tone and you're going to have it, but you're also going to see how I made it because you can go to each component and look at how I set all the knobs and all the little stuff that I did to make it like the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the value that we can bring to someone with a, with a piece of software that let's say does have like an 1176 baked into it is that we can set like hard stops where it's like, no, don't turn the knob past this point, you know, <laughs> right. like, or, um, and, and some people would look at that as like a, almost like a limiting, like, why would you create a piece of software where there's like limits inside? But, it's it's important because those are the things that I would say to you if you were sitting next to me and we were mixing a song and you're like, you're moving one of the knobs or something. I'd be like, oh, be careful. Don't go past that point because if you do, it's going to, this is going to happen. Then it's going to sound like this. And then that's good. And we've already messed around with that before. So it's almost like I was providing part, partly, ex, I'm providing partly my experience um, and my knowledge into the design of the software itself. Mm-hmm. to try and safeguard you into a, a really good uh, sounding um, outcome. And I've, I've pulled back a little bit on that recently because I've noticed that like people actually do want to have the ability to uh, affect those inner workings. They want to have a little more control. Um, believe me, I could just make a bunch of one knob plugins. I could be like, okay, take this plugin put it on your master bus, only turn this knob and you're good. And like, I could do that all day long, but then the product part of it starts to get a little confusing. Cause then you're like, well, wait a minute, what's happening. And how do I know if it's not going to over compress my mix and like things like this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's more about like exposing the right things to the users and giving them the right controls rather than just giving them like the least amount of controls. If that makes any sense. It makes total sense. I talk to a lot of pedal manufacturers and amp builders and things, and everyone has different approaches, right? You can get a Mesa that has 37 knobs on it, and the the reality is a lot of people say they don't like Mesa boogies 
because they're hard to dial in. They don't know that. They're just like, oh, I plugged in and it sounded terrible. Like, well, Mesa's clearly can sound very good. You just have to mess with them. <laughs> and they're not, you know, it's not a tweed champ with one knob, volume knob, and like, there you go. So yeah. there's a balance between, you know, especially with pedals and, and amps in, in this world where the designers do think about how much flexibility do we want to give people versus how much do we want to keep them within certain guardrails you know, even like Chase Bliss pedals, while they're really insanely complex and have all these knobs and automations and different things you can do, they're like, don't touch the trim pots inside. <laughs> like those, those are set the way they are for a reason. We don't want you to mess with those. Uh, so it makes total sense. You, you, depending on the end goals, you want to give people sometimes just enough rope to hang themselves or, you know, <laughs> make it really, really simple so they can't even get there. I, I totally understand that. That's a it's, I think it's a, an approach that applies to almost any product that you could possibly think of. You know, you have to make be cars careful. that can do crazy things, but <laughs> not, those aren't not for everybody. Yeah, should <laughs> should you give them to everyone? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you have to also be careful about like net analysis paralysis. If there's too many knobs, there's too many features, too many parameters. Um, the user might not ever reach a tone uh, because there's it's there's too many things to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's especially true when it comes to things that are interact with each other. Like if I turn this knob and it changes how the low end works over here, now I have to test like every combination of both to see how, how they interact with each other. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we simplify in our software. Like if there are two things that would um, typically interact with each other in a nonlinear fashion, then we try to figure out, okay, what's a relationship that we can create for the, these two things to boil it down into one control or a series of options. Um, and I think it's been, you know, largely, uh, a good endeavor. Like, you know, it's, it's a good use of our time, but what's been an even better use of our time, sadly, but it's true is to just make good presets. Cause if you think about it, like the way that you explore a piece of software is just by clicking around the presets and then then going in and fiddling around with the fine tunings and things. hundred like percent, every yeah. single time. Yes. So you know the measure of is is this software good or not really kind of does come down to like the presets. But if you're like, you know, if you're a guitar player and you have a YouTube channel and you're making a video about a piece of software. I feel like you should dive into it, you know, because anyone can just download the free trial and check out the presets. That's not what I'm here to watch your video for, right? Mm-hmm. I'm here to see like your what's your idea of this plugin? Like how how do you think it works for your sound? That kind of stuff. But um, it's t- it's tricky. Like being a, being a software company is tricky on so many levels because of those kinds of things, and um. I just hope that I, I somehow reach the people who look at what we create as an like a creative tool or an inspiring tool that that gets them to the next part of their creativity rather than like, well, is it the best recreation of a JCM 800? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. But like, does it help you write music? Like, that's kind of where I care. <laughs> right. Know? And what is the best? You know, that's always the thing. This is the best XYZ. Well, m- Maybe for certain people it is. I know a lot of people that love tube screamers. Uh, outside of tightening up something high gain, I don't really have much of a use for them personally. But people, mm-hmm. one of the best selling t- pedals of all time, clearly they work for a lot of people, just not necessarily for me in most use cases. So 
the best tube screamer is still not the best pedal for me for me best is <laughs> yeah. such, a, such a subjective thing right yeah um we are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my plane dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossie, I invite you to head over to chaseblitzaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. But anyway, sidestepping a little bit, because uh, we've talked a lot about the software company, and obviously that takes up an enormous amount of your mental capacity and energy on a daily basis. But you are still a producer. You still do that as well. So how do you balance those two and what does what does that typically look like week to week? Yeah, so I I for those that aren't super familiar with my background, like I was a producer uh since I was 19. I'm 38 now, so I've been in the game for a while. Um in my 20s, I made over 100 albums in 10 years. Uh it was so brutal. Crazy. Yeah, it was absolutely brutal and absolutely insane. But I learned a lot in a very short period of time. And I, like anybody, I burned out, man. Like it was, you know, you get to the end of that road and you kind of look back and you're like, all right, what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to keep doing 10 records a year or am I going to, I just, it just kind of hit me all at once. And I took a break. Um, during the break, I built, these companies, uh, JST, I took it to the next level, right? I, I built, um, unstoppable recording machine. I started drum forge, a, a lot of these things that I do day to day now. And that's a challenge in and of itself, because not only do you have the challenge of creating great products, but you have the challenge of running a business. Um, 
I'm the type of person that needs to be challenged or I get very bored very easily. Mm-hmm. So I get involved in things that are complex and are challenging. Like one of my hobbies is mixology. Uh, I, I love the balance of flavor, trying to create really nice cocktails. That's a whole rabbit hole that will probably last me for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so I typically get involved in those kinds of things. That's what how my brain, it, it satisfies my brain. So long story short is I, I run these companies. We built them up to where they were um, self-sufficient and they starting to, you know, it's how I make my income. I'm a little more comfortable in life. I'm not having to make record to record to live, to eat. And in that space, I kind of became a little more like my relationship with production got better because I had that time away. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to go, okay, maybe I'll float around, do a couple records here and there. Let's see how it t- comes out. And I have the, the luxury of literally deciding which projects I do and don't want to do. Because um, the demand has always been there and it's still there. People want to work with me, but I just decide like, uh, I think I don't want to work on that right now. Or, oh, this, this project's really like artistic. I want to be a part of that. Like, even if it doesn't have the money that I would normally expect to make for a record, I can, mm-hmm. I can do that. Like I, I have that option. And so that's what I've been doing. And the balance of it is pretty tough. When you, when you run a company, the size that we have here, it, you know, we've got 17 people, um, it, it's a full-time job. And so I do have to find ways to like step away from the business to be able to work on the art. And sometimes I have to balance those things and it can be tricky. Um, I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of really talented people that can help me. Uh, I have my engineer, Nick Matzko's and you know, he kind of holds down the fort. He, he does his own projects. So he's not just relying on me or waiting on me, but I know that I can kind of always go there to him and he knows exactly how I think he knows exactly all of my methods, all of my techniques. Cause I was his mentor. I taught him everything from the ground up. So like when I go to do a project there, it's easy. It's not mm-hmm. like, Oh man, like what's the latest version of like waves plugins. I got to go download those. Like, cause I don't, <laughs> right. you know, I don't keep up with that stuff cause I make my own software. So I'm entrenched in that, but with him, he keeps up with all that stuff. And he also keeps the studio running and keeps, you know, uh, innovating continually to innovate as an engineer himself. So when I go there to work with him, it's like I can take on a project pretty quickly and I don't have the bear the full uh, responsibility of like being a full-time producer. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been nice. It's been super nice. And also my wife who is in an all girl hard rock band um, called conquer divide. I, nice. You know, I ended up producing their album naturally. Right. Um, of course, of course. And so like, you know, that, that, that was a long project. It took about two years to do the most recent album. Um, but we do it at our leisure, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, just like I said earlier in this conversation, music has just been a part of my life. You know, it's not, it's not a job. It's, it's just something that I guess I connect with and I'm good at. I don't know. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was I was explaining to somebody the other day that, that like, I, I don't know if I phrased it quite the right way, but they were like, oh, yeah, you know, you're one of those weird creative type people. And, you know, you it's nice that you get to to have an outlet for it. And I said, I don't have a choice. I'm just fortunate enough that I'm able to do things that I like for a living now. 
that wasn't always the case. Um, but even even in the in the old careers, I, I was like, I didn't have a choice. I was like, I was gonna make stuff. I was gonna record. I was gonna write. I was gonna play. It whether whether it was making me any money at all or not. I don't, I don't have the option to not do these things right. mentally, mm-hmm. you know? And, and they're like, well, you have a choice. I'm like, see, that's the difference. No, I don't. I'm going to be thinking about it at a bare minimum constantly. If, if I, even I'm not actively engaged in the creative process, I'm thinking about something I want to do 24, seven, 365, whether that's music related or business related or, or whatever it is, the, the machine never really stops. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing that's so cool about music, though, is that it, you know, it has all these different angles to it. Like, it has a social aspect that, like, as soon as you walk in a room and there's another musician there and you're a musician, <laughs> it's like, boom, instant, right? Like, instant connection. Awesome. Yep. What's your favorite record? Yeah, you're instant buddies. Uh, and then I was just talking to um, my my buddy earlier and we were talking about how like when one part of music gets boring, there's a whole nother angle you can go like when you get bored with how good you are at guitar, well, learn how to play drums. That's mm-hmm. a whole nother thing. And then you get good at that. Okay, now learn jazz piano, bro. Like it just <laughs> it kind of never stops. It, it, there's no one person that's good at all things. And music is a universal language that we all can understand because it's a way of like taking emotion and putting it in a piece of art and then expressing that emotion through that art and that, and like humans are emotional. So it's this language of like, even if a song was in French and I didn't understand any of the words that they sang, I could still hear the emotion of the song and um, feel that emotion that that person was trying to portray. And that's what's so badass about music. And I, I think that there's very few things that are like that. I mean, I guess the only other comparison would be something like uh, like science is kind of a, a really never-ending rabbit hole of awesome people, community discoveries, like you know innovations. But yeah, different type of people for for the science audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Those are two different sides of the coin for sure. So with all of this that we've been talking about, you know, with with work and with you know creativity and everything. You've done so much of it. And how do you, or actually maybe a better way to phrase it would be, what would you suggest to somebody who's maybe just getting started or maybe been in it for a while and and they're experiencing some level of burnout? How do you personally handle it and what would you suggest for others? Yeah, burnout's tough. Um, Everybody goes through it. For anything that you do repetitively, day in and day out, you're going to get burned out. So you got to find a way to um, handle your relationship with that thing. Um, and for me, it's just having a balance of different stuff throughout the day. Like, you know, I'll spend part of my day running my company, then another part of my day, like watching YouTube videos of creators that I like. And then another part of my day, maybe trying to make that cocktail idea that I had a little bit better. (laughs) Right. It's just, I kind of have a little bit of mixture of different things throughout the day that kind of helps it like not be so, like one, you know, one road going in one direction kind of thing Mm -hmm. that helps me. Um, another thing that I did that really helped me was like surround myself with some people that don't know anything about music 
Like I have some oh. friends, you know, that are not musicians, don't know the first thing about how to record an album, never don't know how to play an instrument. Right. Um, I love to hang out with those people because they don't talk about music because that's just not what they know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the most they'll ever say about music is they'll be like, Hey, have you heard this song? It's one of my favorite songs, you know? And it's like, cool. Um, and that helps you stay grounded yeah, a little bit, like, and gives you that healthy, like time away from music, music, music. Um, so yeah, I would just say, get some friends that are interested in other stuff that, that you're interested in and, you know, try to keep a healthy balance of like, uh, don't over, don't overdo it. You know, mm-hmm. everything, everything in doses, right? Like you can't sit around and eat ice cream all day or that's going to be bad. So a little <laughs> bit of ice cream here and there and it works out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That, well, you saying that made me realize that I don't do that at all. Like almost all of my friends, I have family, of course, that don't. But then it, it's kind of funny, though, because inevitably they'll want to talk to me about what I've been up to more so than the other way around sometimes. Yeah. And and so, and I don't know if that's just because what the types of things we're engaged with every day is pretty weird to the outside world. Uh, It's become normal to us, but I know to, I had people here working on my house and they're like, what are you doing in there? I'm like, I'm working. And they'll just hear guitars playing. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) like that's, that's work. Um, But the cool thing though, is if you have to explain, like if you have a non-musical friend and you're a music person, you almost can't I, – I can't be like, well, yeah, it's just a tube screamer going into a triple wreck, but then we use like a Marshall half stack. Like could they that will be German to them, right? So then mm-hmm. you almost have to break things down into like, well, it's kind of like uh, I, I plug in my guitar and then I turn a couple knobs and it sounds like this. And it's like that's as deep as you can go for the explanation. <laughs> it gives you a whole new like uh, – it, it, it's almost becomes fun, right? Like it's, it's fun to talk about music in a more of a, a bird's eye view sense that with those types of people, like I find that gives me almost a deeper connection. I, I was talking to someone about like, uh, they're like, what do you get out of like teaching people all your secrets? And I was like, Oh, it's the best part. The mm-hmm. best part actually is that I get to just talk about stuff that I figured out and then I get to teach it to other people and then their mind goes, whoa, that's insane. How did you figure that out? And I'm like, ha ha ha, you know, and that, that's like a, <laughs> I love that. Like that makes me feel good, you know? And mm-hmm. so I, I think that that's part of it too, is that when you have a friend that doesn't know what you know, you get to teach them about what you know and vice versa. And that's part of the, the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so into pedals. Like I've got way too many pedals. I'm just terrible, terribly addicted. But and I have worked with a lot of pedal companies as well. So a little less so these days. But I remember back in the day, people would be like, "Well, what do you what? Yeah, what do you do?" I'm like, "Oh, I work with guitar pedal companies." And they're like, "What's a guitar pedal?" I'm like, "Oh, this thing I just take take for granted." And (laughs) and I realize ninety percent of the population has no idea what a guitar pedal is so you know when my grandma's like oh he was in the movie about a guitar effects pedals people are like what what does that even mean i'm like you know like a wah pedal but there's more to it and so they know what a wah pedal is most of the time they've heard that in some context (laughs) yeah but it's a it's bizarre to be so into a very particular niche that just nobody 
and you, it becomes your whole world and then nobody knows that it even exists. <laughs> it's kind of a, <laughs> an odd experience, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I had a real rough time like explaining to my dad like what I do because he he works like he's used to the analog world of recording. So mm-hmm. for him, who is he was just like, wait, what now? You can you can change the EQ in the computer. Right. And, and I'm like, yeah, you, you can do a lot more than that. I can reverse the sound and I can distort it and then add two of them together and drop the octave. And he's like, wait, what? Whoa, that's insane. <laughs> so yeah, like to get him to understand that I actually like create software products was, was tough in the beginning. So I had to like basically teach him like, okay, open your laptop. There's a little app in there called GarageBand. Open that up. Now plug your guitar in, record something on the track. Now look, you can see, you can move knobs. Just It's just virtual. It's not out here, it's in there. And then I finally got him to where he was recording his own little songs and stuff because he's a he's a brilliant guitar player, songwriter. Like He's not so great at recording. Um, I got really good at recording because that's what I obsessed over in my 20s. But my dad didn't obsess over recording when he obsessed over guitar in his 20s. That's why he's really good at guitar. But... Um, once I got him going on those songs, like I, I was then able to send him software that I made and then he would use that software on his song. And it was kind of like this really beautiful thing. That's so cool. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, we are getting down to the uh, last few minutes here of the podcast. And I have a couple of classic questions I like to wrap these up with. But before I do that, I like to give the guests the opportunity to kind of take the stage you know, shout out anybody they want to shout out, your grandma or your aunt or whatever. You can uh, plug anything you want to plug. The floor is yours now to talk to a couple thousand people. Oh, that's awesome. Um, uh, well, now I have to say hi to my mom and my aunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, for real, I, I, I'm very excited about this project that we're working on. And uh, it, we're going to announce it here in the next couple of weeks on the Joey Sturgis Tones Instagram. So if any of you guys out there are using Instagram, check us out there. Pay attention for that. Uh, look out for that uh, announcement. It's going to be a, a guitar-related software. I can't give away too many details here. Um, cool. But yeah, I'm excited about it, and I hope everyone checks it out because it's it's basically the best. We've been working on it for two years, and it's kind of like the, the peak of our – uh, our work here uh, at Joy, Joy Sturgis Tones. And yeah, hope people check it out. Very cool. Very cool. And for all the listeners, that link will be down in the show notes to the Joey Sturgis Instagram. So you can check out all that stuff and uh, the websites and all that jazz. So go down there and click those things. All right. Thank you. Final <laughs> questions. Uh, this one, I'll be curious to get your take on. What is your favorite boss pedal? Ooh. Oh man, they—they're the ones that make the death metal pedal, right? Uh, I think DoD did the death. Oh, metal, it's DoD. Yeah, okay, but but Boss has the HM2, which is famously used in a lot of death metal and black metal. So, mm, yeah, I mean, I remember the Boss delay. Um, what is it called? DD3. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that pedal. And it took me so long to figure out what the difference was between having a guitar pedal go into an amp and then having an amp on a track in a computer and having a delay pedal or like a delay plug-in after the amp. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, how do you do that in the computer? Because (laughs) I know how to do it out of the computer, but how do you do it in the computer? And I like, you know, in the early days, it's like so hard to figure that out. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff that you can do um, when it comes to like manipulating the input signal of the guitar before it ever even hits other gear. Um, If you know how to do that, like putting EQs before the delay pedal, putting EQs after the delay pedal, like all that stuff. But Mm -hmm. yeah, the boss delay is like infamous for me. Yeah, I love a DD3. I uh, I got a DD2 recently alongside a, a long chip, which it doesn't matter, but a long chip DD3. And I found out, uh, everyone, I'm fully convinced that these pedals are exactly the same. I've opened them up. They look exactly the same. And uh, the one has a 2 on it and one has a 3 on it. So, <laughs> But the DD3 did, did they, is uh, classic. I love did, it. Love did it they so change much. the shape of the knobs or something? No, it looks like it's literally, it'll be funny. I'll send you some pictures. It's okay. Literally, I haven't seen the difference between the two, but not a lot of times, like, I feel like the manufacturer is literally like, man, if we could just shave off like two cents per pedal, man, and they like figure out a way to make the plastic a little thinner or something, you know, <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know why they, cause they obviously the DD2 came first. There's a famous in the guitar pedal world story of the boss engineers all getting locked in a room, not allowed to leave until they figured out how to use this chip because it was the only one on the market at the time. And it's this massive delay chip that barely fits in the, in the enclosure. Yeah. They're like, you have to make this work and you can't leave until you do. And I talked to some people from boss who uh, confirmed that story is, is real. So the wow. DD2 started like that. And then for some reason, like a couple of years later, they, put out a DD3, which most people have seen and know, and it's a slightly different now, but the original DD3, I can't, I think it's the same pedal. I'm, I'm sure it is, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, love that circuit. It sounds great. It's yeah. classic for a reason. <clears throat> All right. Final question. This is the one that gets a little bit dicey. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Ooh, is it, is it like brand or just like the composure as, as granular as you want to get with okay. it? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Hot take, I love Papa John's. Whoa. Yeah. Really? I think it's so good, man. And I don't have one near here, so it really bums me out. Um, and anytime I travel, I look if there's a Papa John's near me so I can see <laughs> if I can order it. Um, I used to hate Pizza Hut, but recently I found that it's actually like the consistency and the texture of the pizza comes out like really good. So I actually – I'm – digging pizza hut lately Mm -hmm. um but as far as pizza goes if you want my true heart where my heart is yes it's got to be like a a real legit italian pizza like with the Mm -hmm. italian dough um i'm talking like they've been keeping that yeast alive for a hundred years with some crazy italian family been feeding (laughs) it feeding it you know making the dough out of the real Mm-hmm. Like using olive oil, like all that stuff. Mm. Oh my god, it's so mm. good. Wood fired. Yeah, like, that, that's that's the best pizza on earth. But where do you buy that? You know, you you gotta just figure out how to make it or know a place that know a spot that can do it right. I know a spot. I'm real lucky. That I got I've got a spot in town that uh, is is legit and it's very very good and it's very very not cheap. But you know, I'll I'll pay the price a couple times a month anyway, just because. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, so, it's so good i yeah. think i'm probably gonna get it tomorrow now that you actually bring that up oh but, man uh, i'm jealous oh, 
<laughs> yeah. Well, hey, if you're ever in the Portland, Oregon area, I'll I'll take you around. We've got some we've got some spots that meet your qualifications. So okay, okay, sounds good. I, Thank you. <laughs> I think there's a Papa John's in Vancouver. So, <laughs> <if I remember. laughs> uh, yeah, we can uh, we can go to your place uh, if you want. <laughs> okay, sounds good, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. This was a really excellent and extremely on topic chat. We haven't had a very on topic chat like this in a long time, so that was a uh, that was fun. I think people will appreciate that. That was great. That's awesome. Thanks for having yeah. me, man. Of course, dude. Let's see uh, what kind of nonsense we can stir up in uh, in Patreon. What do you say? Yeah, sounds good. All right. All right, everybody, for Joey, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you go. There is your episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Joey and I really hit it off. That was a really, really fun episode. The vibe was right, and you got to love it when that happens. Please make sure you check out his company. Check out Joey Sturgis Tones. The plugins are insanely good. And they're very affordable, too. The Jeff Loomis plugin I've been playing with lately, and wow, I am shocked. I'm shocked at how good it sounds straight out of the box. I'm shocked how good the clean amp sounds in that are at taking pedals, like real analog pedals plugged into it. Oh, man, it's it's insane. And it sounds, again, so good just right out of the box. Now, you can tweak it, of course, to your liking, but man, really a bang-up job with that thing. And I'm really looking forward to checking out more of their stuff because this was extremely impressive to say the least. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, if you'd like to learn how to make a proper gin martini, slide over to Patreon, where for five bucks a month, you can get extra episodes beamed right to your ears every week. And for three bucks a month, you can get the ad-free feed if that is your thing. Of course, for five bucks, you get both the bonus episodes and the ad-free feed. So if that's your thing and you want to support the show, I would appreciate it very, 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 very much. And if not, I totally understand. No sweat. Just please share this episode with somebody you think might enjoy it. I would appreciate that as well. All righty, folks, I'll get out of your hair. And if you want to find me on the internet, you know where to find me. Info at ToneMob.com. Shoot me a DM on all the platforms. And I will talk to you on the interwebs very, very soon. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple 
and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.